Welcome to another episode of the Providence Friarcast, presented, presented by, by PCBB, 1917.com. Your home for Providence College basketball news, notes, and opinions. Now here's the founder of PCBB, 1917.com, and your host, Mike Hopkins. over his bench, looks at the play call, looks at the clock, now begins to make his move with 10 seconds to go, between the legs with a dribble, working his way slowly, alley-oop, lob underneath, and a layup, score! Oh, what a with three seconds left, here comes Cartwright between two defenders, at the buzzer, oh! He got it to go! It's a three-pointer! Wait a minute, they're going to look at it, it's a three-pointer! The Flyers win! No, they're going to take it out, but I think that was good. They're going to have to check out the monitor to see if it was a three-pointer. So they will check it out to see if Corbett just signaled to me that they are going to check it, but he thinks it's a three-pointer. At the buzzer, Kyron Cartwright. Holy moly. I'll tell you what, John. Moody is all upset about that last play, but you know what? Windler was smiling at the top of the key there like they thought he was going to come up and take a three-pointer. They threw the lob to him. So now Jason. It's a three! It's good! Ball game is over! And Providence wins! My goodness! What a game! Well, that was exciting. Uh, welcome into another episode here. I'm joined uh, again by Brendan McGair and Chris Grenham uh, for our second edition of the Providence Friarcast. Anything happened the other night? I mean, unbelievable shot by Kyron Cartwright. Uh, you know, Belmont, they take the lead on a basket and. I guess Ed Cooley was looking to call a timeout at the end, and Chiron just basically said, no, I got this, and comes down, and wham. Like, you know, the first thing I thought of was when, uh, you know, I was flashing back to when T.J. Sorrentine, you know, hit the shot against Vermont in the NCAA tournament about, oh, 12 years ago, and I felt like saying, oh, where's the Gus Johnson call to say, oh, from the parking lot? But that's what it kind of felt like. It just happened so quickly that you're like, wow, you couldn't even catch your breath, but, uh, you know, talking to... Uh, Max Good, who actually recruited Cartwright to come to Loyola Marymount before Good was fired, I believe, in the spring of 2014. You know, he mentioned, he said, that kid's got some big onions. And, you know, just uh, it would have been cool if uh, Bill Raftery was on the call for that. And, you know, obviously, he's all about the onions, but um, what a big shot from Cartwright. And, you know, what the, the contrast between that shot and the one he hit in Creighton last year, which, you know, came out of a a scramble semi-set play where Isaiah Jackson kicked out the ball to him. And but this one was just pure, uh, you know, jump on my back, fellas. Uh, you know, either we're going to uh, we're going to ride or die, so to speak. Yeah, and then the angle he hit that shot at was was ridiculous. I'm watching the replay right now as I'm, as I'm talking here, and it was just a ridiculous angle to hit that three, considering the momentum he was coming in there. That's a really tough shot. So that was pretty unreal. It's kind of a crazy sequence because Belmont had a really, really nice play uh, to take the lead, sixty-five, sixty-three on the alley oop play that they drew up, which was which was perfect. So, you know, if I was a Belmont fan, I would be livid that they ruined, you know, that that awesome potential game-winning play. Uh, but yeah, Kyron went went. You know, I don't really know how to say, it, uh, but it was perfect. It was it was an unbelievable finish. Yeah, I think Ed Cooley would have been uh, pretty upset if he didn't hit that shot with that last play that Belmont got off. Uh, certainly not exactly uh, textbook defense for Providence, although it kind of looked like Belmont was just kind of dribbling around out there. Nothing was happening. I guess maybe that was it. They lulled them to sleep. 
The but, real story in this game was uh, Providence just did not shoot well, and that's sort of been a theme this year. They're either shooting it over 50% or they're shooting it in the 30s. They just haven't been able to be consistent, and uh, they got bailed out by Cartwright. Um, I, I don't know what, if you want. To, we want to go around here and uh, just talk a little bit about, about some of the negatives other than shooting, um, and it carried over a little bit into the Boston College game, I thought, which at least in the first half of the BC game was pretty clear to me, is that uh, this team really just is not a good rebounding team right now. And I don't think that that's to say that they're always going to be a bad rebounding team because they certainly have size and they have um, experienced guys too, like Lindsey and, and, and Bullock, to be able to, to rebound. They just are not doing it right now. And I guess some of it is they, they were mixing in a little more zone here and there, and it's always hard to rebound in a zone. But to me, uh, the the hot shooting, cold shooting, and the lack of consistent rebounding have been real issues um, so far, even though they're 5-1. and one. I don't know, uh, Brendan, what do you think about that? My biggest takeaway, Mike, is you know just looking at the stats right here, the Friars have given up 82 offensive rebounds. And it just that was a huge issue, at least to me, in the early going in the Boston College game, where BC was really hanging tough and just, you know, getting... You know, the rebound was coming right to them, and they were just going right back up with it. It just seemed BC was a step slow in terms of his rotation. You're right. Maybe it, it's because of all the zone and trying to find the spots on the floor and everything. But to be out-rebounded on the offensive glass by 82 to 62, I mean, that's really that's really uh, playing with fire. And you expect maybe that could come back to haunt them if they don't change things pretty soon. Now, Ed Cooley, after the game, when it was mentioned how beneficial it is that Nate Watson and Khalifa Young go up against each other in practice every day. He did mention that you know, there's a possibility that we could see the both of them on the floor at the same time, maybe as soon as tomorrow night. I mean, looking at Ryder's roster, they got no one taller than 6'9". It might not be a bad idea to put those two guys together. It's uh, a game that, you know, in theory, the Friars should win pretty easily. I know Ryder's coming in with a 5-1 record. They have a nice road win at GW. But um, these preseason games are also an opportunity. I, I shouldn't call them preseason games. Non-conference games are an opportunity to, you know, tinker with things and experiment and see what works. And right now this Friar team still looks to be in a tinkering stage. So why not have Khalif Young and uh, Nate Watson out there at the same time, given the shortcomings on the defensive glass and the offensive glass for that matter? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Early on against BC, like you said, it was impossible to ignore. You know, I think BC they had like 10 offensive rebounds or something like that in the first half. I know they finished with 16 on the night. Um, and it's playing with fire, like you said. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see Khalif and Nate Watson out there at the same time. You know, I'm not really sure if it's a lack of execution or just maybe laziness uh, giving up those offensive rebounds. But it would be interesting to see the two bigs out there at once. Because you'd have to think that could help out the offensive rebounding problem. Uh, but yeah, that, that could become an issue down the road if they don't get that fixed. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest concern for this team across the board. You know, teams are going to have bad shooting nights um, and there's ebbs and flows. So I'm not as much concerned about the hot or not shooting as I am with the offensive rebounds. That should be the main, the main concern. Yeah, and part of it too... Um... I guess you're, we're talking, uh, Brendan mentioned about how, how Cooley was saying maybe he'd mix up with both big guys is that part of it we should mention too is that they have been, when they've been trending to 
certain lineups. They've been trending smaller, more so than bigger to this point. They've had more of Bullock at the five than I think we would have expected coming into the season without Emmett Holt. Uh, that probably maybe was the first iteration of Cooley trying to fit, you know, finagle the lineups without Emmett Holt, and now maybe he'll go the other way with the big guys. After rebounding has been a problem, um, just to drive home the rebounding stat, uh, Providence, as of Tuesday uh, at Ken Palm, they were ranked 310th in offensive rebounding percent at 35.3%. Uh, 310 out of, I think, 351. So that's uh, pretty bad. Wow. That uh, that doesn't get uh, more glaring of an issue than that. But uh, the other thing, too, is when you put two bigs out there, you got to make sure that they can both score. And, you know, to Nate Watson and Khalif Young's credit, you know, they're averaging combined just over 15 points per game. At, I mean, it's not like offense, you're going to, your offensive game is going to suffer as a result of having them both out there at the same time. Yeah, and also it's interesting. You know, you, you got to wonder if Cooley's been using them in practice together because he always talks about them playing against each other. So if you were to throw them out there in a game together at the same time, it might be interesting to see how they would be able to work together if they are competing against each other a lot of times in practice. So it's tough when you're really dealing with it. You, ha- you do have DeJore Dickens, but if you're dealing with two uh, main members of your front court, it's, it's kind of difficult to not have that Emmett Holt figure there. I was going to say, I'm glad you brought up DeJore Dickens because uh, obviously I'm sure you guys saw out. I put a tweet out the other night that, you know, Dickens didn't get in the game. And I thought it was kind of curious, especially in the early going, that when they were struggling on the offensive glass, maybe, you know, going through both Watson and Young, that maybe you turn to him just to maybe a couple minutes, see what the kid can give you. But uh, to him not playing the other night was kind of, uh, it kind of stood out to me, especially. Yeah, I don't know what that, I mean, I haven't heard of any specific injury um, because at this point he's played 10 minutes in three games. So a traditional red shirt is now out the window. So unless there's an injury, which, I mean, there could be. We don't know. Um, it's uh, it's a little bit puzzling to not see him getting some, at least some garbage time in these games, uh, like the, the BC game, which was pretty much 15-plus for the last, I don't know, five or six minutes. Yeah, you'd think there'd be some some rumblings about an injury at some point if uh, medical redshirt were to be the route that Cooley goes this year. So it'll kind of be interesting to keep an ear out for that over the next week to two weeks. And then uh, to to jump ahead a little bit, because um, I think we're going to want to talk more PCURI, even though I'm sure Ed Cooley would not be happy that we're kind of looking past Ryder a little bit here. Um, but since we're not going to talk between now and Saturday, uh, I think we should probably spend a lot of time at the, uh, on that at the end. But just to give people a little background on Ryder, uh, Chris and I were talking before. You know, it's like I don't really know a lot about them. It's sort of a, a weird. They're, you know, they're in the MAC, but they're not one of the big MAC schools like in Iona or something. Um, Providence and Ryder have actually played four times. The first time I think it was in 1945 at the Boston Garden, and Ryder won that game. And since then, Providence has won the last three. The last time they played was in December of 2015 at the Dunk, Providence won. Kevin Baggett is in his sixth season as the head coach. He was the assistant there for six years before that, so he's been there for a long time. They're located in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. They were picked to finish seventh in the preseason in the MAC, and their leading scorer is a fresh redshirt freshman uh, named Jordan Allen, so we might as well start there. Um, based on what I've looked into so far and watched a little bit of, of their game uh, film, he uh, he's basically Jalen Lindsey in that he all he does is shoot threes. Um, not exactly the best dribbler, maybe straight line, 
but he takes he takes about eight threes a game and makes forty seven percent of them. So that's that's really his his main asset, um, being their leading scorer so far through six games, five and one with their only loss coming uh, against Xavier. And as Brendan mentioned, they did have a win over GW uh, recently, which was their best win uh, on, on the, early on the season here. Uh, a couple other guys to keep keep an eye on: their leading rebounder, redshirt freshman Frederick Scott, who is a DePaul transfer. He uh, he's second, third on the team in scoring at twelve a game and averages eight point three rebounds. And then their point guard uh, Stevie Jordan, um, second on the team in scoring, leading the team in assists at seven and a half a game, which is eighth nationally, four spots ahead of Kyron Cartwright. So they have some players, um, they have some dynamic players, but again, not as much size as we were talking about. Uh, Brendan, any any initial impressions on on Ryder? Well, you got three double figure scores. You mentioned the kid Allen, who I guess is kind of a a clone of a uh, of a Jalen Lindsay. Um, I mean, I just you know I always look at these games, and it just feels like over the last five six years, you know, where you have PC URI on Saturday, and you have this midweek game against, like we mentioned, a MAC team that we don't know too much about. You just you just kind of like you want to fast forward it almost and, you know, just get to Saturday. And I think, uh, you know, the fans will certainly want to do that. You know, Ed Cooley can say all he wants of how Ryder has our undivided attention. We want to make sure that the kids hone in on the on the sky reports and everything like that. But, you know, this, you know, you, you don't want to say is this a trap game or anything like that. But, you know, you don't want to look too far ahead because there is a, a significant test coming on the road on sat- on Saturday. You know, for RPI purposes and state bragging rights and and all that jazz, but uh, you have to get through tomorrow night first, and I'm sure uh, Ed Cooley will be driving home that point uh, like he has been since Sunday, and continue right through tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, Cooley's definitely pushing the the one day at a time mentality. I remember last year; I think it was I think it was UNH they played at the dunk uh, the Wednesday before the URI game, and. Uh, I had a feeling it might be a trap game, but they didn't. They ended up winning by you know 15 points or something like that, and a pretty, pretty straightforward win. Um, so last year they did a good job of it. Hopefully they can do it again. In terms of Ryder, um, Stevie Jordan, their point guard, kind of sticks out to me. He's a quick, quick scorer who really finishes in transition a lot. Uh, I don't really know much else about them, but he would be my my player to watch. His sophomore guard. Uh, he's you know six feet. He's a smaller kid, but he's really quick and really good in transition. So. He's a guy on the offensive side of the ball to uh, to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, and Ryder does like to run overall. Uh, 20.9% of their possessions are in transition. He's a big part of that. Um, they, uh, he, he, You said he's only six foot. They list him at six foot. Other places have him at 5'10". So he's not the biggest guy, but 50% of his shots are coming at the rim. So uh, most of them are un- only 80% of them are unassisted. So it's either him driving there in the half court or getting there in transition. Stevie Jordan, I think, would be interesting. I, I took another angle in my preview um, because I also looked on the other side of the ball. He He's their most vulnerable defensive player. Uh, actually, him and Scott are their two worst defensive players. So I would look for Mikhail Ashton Lankford and Cartwright to uh, take the ball right to him on, the, on when Providence has the ball and also should be able to get, get some scoring done inside. Scott technically is their power forward. They have another... Another player who I think is six nine, who's their center, but not exactly. He's like an eight point score. He's not you're not anything, uh, anything that Providence shouldn't be able to handle um, coming from a MAC program. But it's interesting that uh, that that Cooley is really trying to 
send the message that you know th- they don't want anyone looking looking ahead. I mean, it's only natural. These are kids. It's an in-state team. They know the the guys on the URI team. You know the URI guys. I'm, I'm sure there's been some chirping. Uh, a little bit down this year uh, with the fact that Providence will be without Emmett Holt, and now EC Matthews uh, not going to play because of the wrist. So you have that angle. But it's always going to be a dogfight at the Ryan Center. Uh, it's already a sellout. Tickets are pretty expensive on the secondary market. It's it's going to be a pretty fun atmosphere, I think, for everyone in the state. And this game has, uh, in the last several years, been uh, very tight. The last four games decided by an average of three and a half points. Um, I also uh, feel like I should mention Ed Cooley's record against Rhode Island. Six and zero, six and zero record all time uh, as the head coach of Providence. Providence has won the last seven. Uh, but again, it's going to be a, a wild atmosphere. The Ryan Center is going to be loud. A lot of these freshmen have not experienced something like that before. So not to look ahead on Ryder, but we're going to look ahead on Ryder. Ed can tell the kids whatever he wants. We're going to look ahead on, on Ryder and go to your on Saturday. Uh, Brendan, what what do you think is the big asp- the big the big thing that Providence is going to have to key on on Saturday? I think just the emerging play of Jared Terrell. You saw him last week against... Uh... Um, Seton Hall, and he looks like the guy that's ready. To, he was he just took the team on his back, kind of like what Cartwright did against Belmont. Just you know, jump on my back, fellas. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. You know, hitting big shot after big shot against Seton Hall down the stretch, and especially the URI is looking to to fill that void with EC Matthews. Uh, you know, still probably a few weeks away from coming back to the lineup, and he's the one player that kind of concerns me. A little bit a year ago, it was you know Hassan Martin down low because you didn't think that the Friars had anybody to really match his physical play and also the athleticism that Martin possessed. But uh, this year, it's good. It's Jared Terrell is the player that stands out to me as the one that I'm sure that's going to be at the top of the scouting report for the Friars. Yeah, it's got to be Jared Terrell. I mean, he's kind of taken over as the main guy since the EC Matthews injury. You know, it's really a shame that EC Matthews got hurt again. He's a great player and. Would have been interesting to see him involved in this game. It's it's tough playing this game without him or, or uh, him and Emmett Holt, pardon me. But um, you know, Terrell's the guy you got to key in on. Everything runs through them, and in terms of offense, he they'll go as far as he takes them. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. And like you guys said before, uh, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on Makai Ashton Langford and Nate Watson in their first real hostile environment. And you know, conference play in the Big East, they'll face some hostile environments too, but it's going to be tough to compete with the Ryan Center this Saturday. You know, everyone gets up for this game. It's it's a huge rivalry, and uh, URI is desperately trying to get off the schneid. They've lost the last seven years, like you guys said, to Providence. So, you know, this is their chance to kind of give them the home court advantage and, and see what they can do. Uh, last time Providence was there was, was Ben Bentiel with the buzzer beater. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be interesting. It'll be a hostile environment. I'm I'm excited, um, and I, I can't wait. This is the game everyone marks on their schedule before the season starts. Brendan, are you going to be there? Oh, absolutely. I'll be there. Uh, wouldn't, miss, wouldn't miss that one. It's, uh, you know, you're right. It's a game that, you know, when the schedules come out, even in May when you, the schedules haven't come out yet, you're like, you know, oh, when's that PCRI game? Is it, uh, it going to be uh, that first Saturday in November? I think a couple of years ago, I think it was the, maybe the game that Chris Dunn missed. Or whatever it was, a game on like on a Tuesday night or something. I remember. Or yeah, Wednesday I think that's night. right. Yeah, it was a Wednesday um, back in 2014 or 2015, something like that. But uh, I mean, this game should always be that first Saturday 
it kind of gives both teams like a month's worth of games under their belts before you know heading towards that like that first stretch before you get to the exam break and you finally get a chance to catch your breath. But let, let's not also talk about uh, how this is both a very good RPI game for both teams as well. I mean, uh, that can't be uh, discounted as well. I mean, DC last year, that was like maybe their best, you know, non-conference win, beating a, uh, not a what was at the time, a nationally ranked URI team when they came to the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Yeah, ranked 21st, I think, that year. But yeah, these games are always kind of just a war. Uh, I mean, even that game a few years ago, I think it was 50-49 at the Ryan Center. Real rock fight. Uh, Bryce Cotton, I think, had a big shot towards the end. I mean, these games are always going to be really just coming down to the last possession or two. I don't think that anything will be different on, in that regard on Saturday. Um, Jared Terrell just averaging nearly 20 points a game, shooting more than 50% from, from uh, beyond the arc, 80% at the line. Coming out of high school, I would have never thought that would have been the case with him. He's just done such a good job working on his game and turned himself into the player that without E.C. Matthews, that he can take over the game for them. Um, it does sound like Cyril Langevin's going to play. He's a game-time decision for their game at Brown tonight. Uh, but it sounds like he, so he'll probably be back unless he has a setback with his groin. He'll be back on Saturday. So that's uh, that's a factor. He's a big body inside for URI. Um, but it'll just be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how uh, how all the freshmen respond, as, as we were talking about before. Um, but really, uh, I think it's just going to be kind of a, an old-fashioned bloodbath at the Ryan Center on Saturday, and I think that's how Ed Cooley and, and Dan Hurley want it. It's just definitely how the fans good... want it too. Oh, absolutely. They're uh, you know I, those URI fans are definitely going to be uh, alpha blood. There's no two ways about it. They know they know the streak. They're going to be probably even reminded more about the streak when you know I think uh, URI is going to have their media availability on Thursday. I might actually decide to go take a ride down there and get a get a pulse of what's going on. Now the set and. The thing is, you know, it's one thing that maybe this is such a great game for the fans. This is like the this is like the like an early season Christmas gift for both fan bases. It gives you bragging rights for the for the next year or so. But but like I just said, it it really is good. It's really become like an RPI game as well. It probably makes the the job of the coaching staffs a little bit easier in the sense that okay, we know we're going to play URI. Or, and, you know, vice versa, we're going to play PC. It's a good RPI game where maybe you don't have to scramble to find something else to kind of fill the void when thinking, okay, one team is down, one team is up. This might hurt us down the road, so to speak. Yeah, it's nice that over the last couple of years, both teams have been so good. Um, and, I mean, even last year when Providence beat URI, when URI was ranked, Providence wasn't expected to be that great. You know, still early on in the season, they were picked to finish towards the bottom of the Big East. and. And still, Providence managed to uh, to get the win, and they eventually went on to make the NCAA tournament. So they turned out to be, you know, an equally good team. But it's great, like you said, to have the RPI implications there. And it, you know, obviously this is always a heated battle, no matter the case on either side. But it's another reason for motivation. It's another, you know, highly ranked teams going at it. So it adds another adds another quality into this awesome rivalry. We'll have to see if uh, Ed Cooley throws uh, any more. Uh logs on the fire he did that a couple of years ago i believe saying uh this game should always be played at the dunkin donuts center and i know the uh the uri people did not take too kindly for that that's, yeah they, they didn't like that at all that's uh, one of the reasons why they built the ryan center in the first place because if you remember this game used to be at the dunkin at the uh, dunkin donuts center and then the Providence civic center every single year because you know 
URI Heaney Gym that held like maybe what three thousand fans. They weren't exactly going to give up uh, a gate down there or whatever for a chance to maybe have their fans travel north, pack the dunk for like twelve thousand or whatever, and take those receipts and go and go back to uh, South County. Yeah, and the Ryan Center's quickly become a really hostile environment, especially for these games. And Cooley will be the first one to tell you that it's a hard place to play, especially when the Friars go in there. So it'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be a blast. I think you know the atmosphere too. You just, you guys touched upon it. You know the Friars at the end of the December they're going to be going to play at Creighton. Creighton is probably a bigger Ryan Center in terms of a place that just packs that packs it every single night. But what was it Century Link out there? It sits about eighteen thousand. Yeah, it's a, huge, it's a huge, huge stadium. But they, but they bang it out. They, those fans are there uh, regardless. And I think it's, this is a this game at this point of the season is a good test, just to get that kind of hostile environment under your belt before you transition to go out to uh, go to Creighton on uh, New Year's Eve. I don't really count St. John's because it's going to be Christmas break, and I'm sure the Johnny fans are uh, maybe they're still lukewarm on their team at this point, but. Uh, you know, it's a good this game the way it's scheduled, and then you have Creighton at the end of the month. I think that's uh, I think that's something that Ed Cooley is probably happy about in that regard, where his team will be exposed to a loud, boisterous place, which yeah. which can only help moving forward. Yeah, especially for those younger guys too, because it, it does impact their play, and it's you know it's hard when you got people screaming in your face, and the Ryan Center is kind of a. It's a smaller, it, you know, it holds a lot of people, but it's smaller. The fans are right on top of you. So it's a pretty hostile environment. And I've talked to, you know, guys who have played for PC in years past. And when you ask them about toughest places to play in the Big East, Creighton is always at the top. You know, those fans love, love the Blue Jays out there. There's not much else to do in Omaha. So they focus in on the Blue Jays and, and you know, they are pretty passionate um, and not always that nice when Providence goes in there. So it's it's a nice thing that they can kind of go to URI, like you said prior to going uh I think it's on I think it's on New Year's Eve this year that they're in Creighton. New, um, yep, New so, Year's Eve. So basically, so basically in a matter of weeks actually, if you think yeah, about exactly. it. They're, they're going to be out there and uh you know, there's there's no there's no denying the, like the impact of playing a game like the two K classic in a place like Master Square. Both you guys were there. I mean that building was basically half empty. Not not even maybe yeah. half empty. And then you go to yeah, the less, less than half. You watch uh, the uh, the NIT game with uh, Seton Hall and URI on Thanksgiving Eve again. Another built another preseason tournament in an NBA arena. Not even half, maybe a quarter full on on. Yeah. Just, uh, those games, as much as they are great for scheduling and they automatically lend itself to two or three games that take that are good RPI games. The atmosphere is so lacking that a game like playing against a URI at URI can only help moving forward. Yeah, and there's a big difference between, you know, a historic court like Madison Square Garden or like you said, the Barclays Center for URI last week. You know, there's a difference between a big NBA arena or historic arena uh, being half empty. You know, it's cool. It's great to play in there, but going into a hostile environment like the Ryan Center, it's a totally different ballgame, and, and it just adds a totally different aspect to the game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Nate Watson and – uh, Makai kind of handle it. That's I'm I'm excited to see how they deal with it. And I think also uh, another another angle for Saturday is uh, to see this senior class go head to head again. I mean, obviously we we touched on the record. Uh, Providence has has won every game for the for the senior class that they've played against URI. 
So for them, this might be like more of a direct revenge. A guy like Jared Terrell, who was you know thinking about at one point maybe coming to Providence in high school, uh, ends up going to URI after decommitting from Oklahoma State, turns into kind of a star player in his junior and senior year, but he still hasn't been able to beat the Friars. So for this senior class, uh, just a little bit extra maybe uh, to try to get the win before they, because you know they they think this is their year that they're gonna get back to the NCAA tournament and maybe make a run to the Sweet 16 or, or something. I don't know if that's accurate. And just to touch on uh, what we were saying, you guys were talking about the Orion Center. Uh, certainly re- very good atmosphere when Providence is there. Um, I think the next step, and this is, I mean, uh, it's a knock on URI just because why not, but uh, it's it's not to say, because Providence was the same way in like the Keno Davis years, like when I was a student towards the end of the Welsh and the Keno Davis years, uh, the dunk was, you know, very, very blah, unless there was like a Syracuse, and then ha- half the fans would be Syracuse fans. So the Ryan Center, for the next step for URI, is to be able to actually have that building be packed more than two or three times a year when it's Providence and maybe Dayton or a, a big ten opponent. Yeah, so they need to, that's an, another step for URI. They need to kind of uh, take is, is to make sure that the Ryan Center, because it is a good home court advantage if they if they fill it, but they just... The numbers in the non-conference have not been great so far, um, so I'm sure Saturday with a sellout that'll be uh, that'll be helping their numbers overall. But the, so just you know the Ryan Center, we'll see. Uh, but the senior class, I think that it'll be interesting to see, and maybe they have a little extra a guy like Jared Terrell uh, trying to get get a win over the Friars. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is that personal motivation as well. I mean, you know, we talk about this game for the fans, and you just talked about it, Mike. I mean. You know, this URI senior class, the only thing that they've ever known is to lose to PC, you know, especially down at their building. I mean, you look at I mean, EC Matthews, you know, this would have been, uh, well, he's seen now three. This will be his third time that seeing PC come down to the Ryan Center. I mean, remember his freshman year, he's the one who had the fadeaway jump shot at the buzzer that uh, didn't quite make it. And then and he was on the sidelines when uh, Friars were down there the last time, and Ben Bentil. Kind of got away with a little bit of a push off at the end there, and uh, some and uh, got that ball in. But um, you know, their motivation could come in a lot of of uh, of different avenues. And clearly, Jared Terrell playing at the top of uh, at the peak of his powers right now. And I'm sure he's you know he's told his uh, his teammates you know there's one thing that's kind of missing right now. You know, we got the A10 tournament, we got the monkey off the back going to the NCAA tournament last year, but you know still haven't beaten the Friars yet. Yeah, and I'm sure Andre Barry's feeling the same way too. He's had kind of a different road to you know the last couple of years over the Providence games than Jared Terrell has. I know this is Barry's first year kind of having significant minutes. I know he's averaging just over 20 minutes a game now. Last couple of years, it's been single digits, uh, but he's had a good start so far. He's averaging about 12 points a game. Uh, so there's another senior that'll probably have some motivation that's been around for the last couple of years and and known. The only thing he's known is losing to Providence. So there's there's plenty of motivation across the board, like you said. Uh, for URI, though, uh, this actually is the kind of the beginning of a, a tough stretch. I mean, we were talking about Providence. Um, they have, you know, there, there's after this, they have uh, the Friars have Brown at home, then they go to UMass and Stony Brook. So not exactly a murderer's row, although local games can always be tricky. Uh, but URI has uh, Alabama after they play Providence uh, a few days later. So. Right now, I think that's a top twenty-five team. So, I mean, that, you know, the URI looking forward, 
you know, I, I don't think they're overlooking this game. I'm not saying that because it, it's. I think we we've talked about all the reasons why they're not going to look past Saturday. Um, but they they do have kind of a tough stretch to finish non-conference play. They have Alabama on the sixth, and then College of Charleston, who um, pretty good team actually this year. Kind of a sneaky, uh, a sneaky team, and then Iona's always tough. They like to push the pace. Florida Gulf Coast, Dunk City. So, um, URI has a pretty solid non-conference schedule. They obviously have that win over Seton Hall uh, in their tournament earlier in the year. Um, so, you know, to, to they've done pretty well without EC Matthews so far. Um, I mean, obviously they're going to want to get him back, and it sounds like they'll have him back in a couple weeks. But uh, Jared Terrell has taken over, as we talked about. I've been a little surprised that Jarvis Garrett has seemed to kind of level off um, for them. Jeff Doughton, though, I think has made a nice step. Uh kid that uh, I think he's like a 6'5 shooter out of the Virginia area. So, that, you know, they have some nice pieces that are sophomores, juniors to go along with the seniors. Um, and, but I, I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised with Doughton. Obviously, Terrell has been, um, you know, much improved carrying the load without E.C. Matthews. And uh, and you know Barry, as you talked about, it's they they have a good mix. Stan Robinson, uh, who played, I guess, no contest, contest or something, yeah, to uh, yes to that incident at the Ryan Center uh, right. has been has right. playing pretty well actually. So, I mean, the, all around, it's you know I don't think Friar fans are going to be surprised when they see URI on Saturday. It's, but in terms of the faces, they're going to recognize pretty much everyone that's playing. There's no going to be no real surprises. Um, and I'm sure Ed Cooley in his scouting report is thinking the same thing, that we know these guys, and, uh, you know, we just got to execute. Well, how about we uh, kind of maybe go in this direction right now? How about, what do you think this point spread will be? Do you think it's a pick em? Do you think, you know, URI by 2-3 home court advantage? Because I'm trying to remember, Mike, you probably would know this better than me. What was the spread going into last year's game at the dunk, even though URI, in theory, had the better team at that time? I actually think Providence was favored slightly at home. I think they were too. Yeah, I could see URI being like a two, two and a half point favorite maybe at home this weekend. It'll be close to a close to a pick'em, maybe going closer to a pick'em as we get closer to the game, but maybe opening around two or two and a half. Yeah, I think uh, Ken Palm has it as a, a URI with a one point win. So uh, typically, Providence has um, opening lines. They uh, open at 17.5 favorites against Ryder. They've been typically a little uh, over, sorry, under undervaluing versus Ken Palm because Ken Palm I don't think is factored in Emmett Holt's injury. So Vegas has been opening a little lower, and then the price is kind of usually either going up or down kind of depending on the opponent. But um, I would say... That I, I think I would agree with Chris. Two, two and a half, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, I don't think it'll get more than three unless there's some injury we don't know about. Um, but I think this is as close to a pick And, I mean, if you're looking for a little value on, on Saturday and it gets to two and a half or three, you maybe check the money line for Providence, see what the plus is. Um, but, yeah, I think from from a gambling aspect, the other thing to look at, I think, will be where they set the over-under. Um, because I think this game probably will go under unless they set something real low, because it just is one of those games where it's going to just be the teams know each other really well, and uh, it's almost like a conference game in that way, where it's like you know they, they have tons of film on each other, and uh, they recruit these kids in high school, a lot of them, so the same kids, and 
so I think it'll end up being under. I, I'd have to look and see uh, the last number of years where the game has gone uh, in terms of uh, against the spread and the over-under. But uh, my early look ahead would be like one and a half to two open for URI as a favorite. Uh, I think the over-under probably somewhere in the 145, 148 range would be my my early look. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty spot on. You're going to hear the term or the phrase rock fight a lot describing this game as you do every year. So it'll probably be a lower lower scoring game just on the under because like you said they know each other so well and it's the same kind of group going up against each other so it'll be uh it'll be interesting but yeah i i would agree with uh that over underestimate as well and the other note is uh ed cooley and dan hurley the ori head coach they both live in east Ridge. i don't know if they go get uh bagels or coffee at the same place or whatever but uh i'm sure it's more interesting uh you know once these two teams, you know, URI is in action on Tuesday night against Brown and obviously TC in action tomorrow day against uh, Ryder. If, uh, you know, if they cross paths uh, either on uh, Thursday or Friday, uh, do they even look at each other, say hello or anything like that? I hope not. I would hope not. Actually, it looks like last year, just I'm looking it up here, Providence actually was a, is this right? Three and a half point dog? I don't know if that's right. Maybe that's where it closed. Um. So they went from a favor to a, a to a dog eventually, or I don't know. This isn't. Um, this is. I think the final spread. What what it ended up at game time. Um, it has Providence plus three and a half. The total was one twenty nine. In fifteen, Providence was a three point favorite on the road. No, sorry, that's wrong. This is a home spread. So yeah, they were. So it's been around three or three and a half. The last three years, uh, 2013 it was six and a half, 12 it was seven, but again all these games were inside the margin. I mean, 12 was was not, but from 13, 14, 15, 16 the games have been pretty tight, uh, with only I think one time they there was a cover. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It looked like they, you or I opened as a three and a half, four and four in some books, four point favor last year, and it dropped down to URI. Two and then uh, yeah, it, I think it closed at PC as a three-point dog. I believe is that's what I'm looking at right here. Yeah, so it's funny to think about now from looking back a year to right. what Providence's perception was. Um, it's it's hard to remember because of the season they ended up having. But and like you you mentioned earlier, they were picked to finish ninth in the Big East. No one thought they were going anywhere. Um, so I yeah, guess that kind of makes, and URI was ranked 21st. So yeah, looking at it that way, I guess it does make sense. But yeah, look, I'm looking at the totals the last couple of years, and they've been pretty low. 129, 136.5. There wasn't even yeah. a total listed in 14. So I think you'll be looking at some a game probably played, I think it'll be played in the 60s, maybe the upper 60s. Um, but I think they'll set a line somewhere in the 140s for the over-under. And I think you'll see Providence somewhere in the ballpark of, uh, of, a, of a slight road dog, um, just home court advantage probably in that two point range, but yeah, it'll be interesting. The the gambling aspect always is, is uh, another angle to go with college basketball. Um, November is always fun with all these tournaments going on, but as you get into conference play, it's always a little trickier, but this is, and, and then for betting purposes, I kind of look at this as a conference game. So, I mean, I would never, I, I don't, I don't like to bet on Providence anyway. Um, but if I were a better, I don't know that I would really go near this one unless, unless you really felt confident that 
maybe on the over under if it's a high enough number to go under, but I think it's a, it's yeah, just one think, of those games you'd probably stay away. Yeah, I wouldn't touch this game with a ten foot pole if I was looking to bet on on either team. That just it's just one to stay away from. You never know. It's it kind of everything goes out the window each year in this game. So not definitely not. I'm not one to give gambling advice, uh, but if I were to, I would not touch this game. I wouldn't touch this game because the game that just sticks in my mind was what, like we mentioned, like E.C. Matthews, the, the shot that he missed as a freshman. I think that ended up what a forty fifty to forty nine game. Yeah, that that's time. right. I mean, I, that's uh, and I'm sure maybe that was kind of a one forty game total. I mean, that's I, you, obviously uh, the house won that night. It's almost like the the total, total they set last night was uh, in that Wisconsin Virginia game. I think the the over under was like one twenty nine. And they they didn't even break a hundred. It was like in the eighties total. That was so ugly. That was very ugly. I think we're uh, we're all ready for Saturday, but uh, you know you can't overlook Ryder, even though they are the next team on the schedule. And then uh, you know it's you kind of like it. Wish it was like an NFL kind of deal where you had like you know three or four days to build it up. I know fans have probably been doing that all along, but uh, you know it kind of you wish you were had like three or four days just to like you know get ready for this game like you get ready for the Super Bowl so to speak because this is in Rhode Island, in essence you know growing up in Rhode Island this is Rhode Island's marquee sporting event it, it, and nothing else even comes close to it all right back here in the studio that'll wrap up another edition of the Providence Friar cast before we head out uh, I want to give a special shout out to my guy Friar TV for getting me the audio for the uh, John Rook Joe Hassett call of the Kyron Cartwright game winner against Belmont. Much appreciated. Uh, also, shout out to Fire TV for literally everything else you do. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some people on Wednesday night watching the Ryder game uh, at FriarTV.com. So head over there. He always has great stuff, good stuff for the the Cooley radio shows. Uh, so check out Friar TV uh, at FriarTV.com and also on Twitter at FriarTV. Also want to give a shout out to my patrons. Uh, top of the list, uh, JLD, John Lee Dumas. If my voice is sounding extra velvety this week, it's uh, thanks to JLD sending me a microphone that I'll be using for these podcasts going forward to uh, make myself sound better. So JLD, shout out for that. Mike Evans, uh, my dad, my mom, Adam Nagel, Bob Allison, Ron Torbick, Brendan Ryan, Dan Marcus, Joe DeAngelis, Dennis Corbett, Mike Saburn, Ray Penza, Dennis Burns, Chris Thurlow, Alex Simeone, G, Terry Meyer, and Alan Russ. A little uh, plug for the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash PCBB1917, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash PCBB1917. For $3 a month, you can join our Slack community. For $5 a month, you get access to a special recruiting Slack channel. Um, so far, everybody in the Slack is also in the recruiting channel so we've got a lot of good stuff going on there so go over there and check that out make sure you subscribe on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts give us a rating and a review much appreciated make sure you subscribe to get the latest episodes we'll be dropping once a week uh going forward uh, we may even have some special episodes that jump in uh randomly with maybe some recruiting talk a special interview we have a couple interviews tentatively lined up uh, for when we get into December, uh, especially maybe during the uh, the exam break for when the games get a little bit slower. So keep an eye out for that. 
And if you want to give us some feedback, you can uh, find me at PCBB1917 on uh, Twitter, Instagram, my email, mhopkins at PCBB1917.com. Make sure you reach out uh, anywhere, give us your feedback. If you like the gambling aspect of the show, let us know. I mean, we, that could be a, a regular occurrence. Uh, we're, we're, we're just kind of getting our, our feet wet here, episode two, where we're all together. Uh, I think we had a pretty good discussion this week, but uh, always looking for constructive criticism. So uh, reach out to us, the comment section, anywhere you can find us, and we'll talk to everyone next week. Don't forget to subscribe to the Providence Friarcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Mike, follow Mike Hopkins on Twitter and Instagram at PCBB1917. Like the Facebook page, and as always, stay classy, Friartown.